would you turn to Colossians chapter 1, please? Colossians 1, and we want to read from verse 9 to verse 11. Colossians 1, verse 9 to 11. And the word of God reads, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Just as a way of review, um, let me tell you a little story. There was once a Christian by the name of Ignoramus. One sunny day, he went out for a walk with his best friend, who happened to also be a Christian, and his name is Mr. Brain Dead. So, in that conversation on that day, Mr. Ignoramus says, I can't believe the amount of theological discussions going on in our church. They just go zoom over our heads. I mean, Sunday morning, there is expository teaching, midweek studies, the doctrines of grace, process of salvation. Even when we hang out with the brethren, one tells me about a Puritan book and another a different Puritan book. They're just too much. And so Mr. Brain Dead responded and said, I feel your pain. I feel your pain, brother. When will they ever realize it's all about loving Jesus? That's all that matters. Well, what do we say to these two men? What do we say? Well, yes. Yes, of course, it's all about loving Jesus. Amen to that. That's all that matters. But how do we love someone that we don't know? And how do we know him who we do not, are not acquainted with his will, the knowledge of his will. So we say to both men, this path of least mental resistance is intellectual laziness and it will never lead us to love Jesus. Or even worse, may lead us to love the wrong Jesus. Well, they would say, yes, yes, of course. We understand, but it just gets a bit too much. Too much. Well, look again at verse 9, what Paul says. How much does he want us, does he encourage us to know God's will? That you may be filled. Until we are filled from our heads to our toes, to be saturated, to be filled all the way to the brim with theology, with God's truth. Not until we are filled, he will not stop praying. 
And I must say, I have to pause here and I say, I thank God for all of you because in this church we drown you with doctrines and baptize you in, in theology and yet there is no complaint. And I thank God for this. You always want to increase in your knowledge. And I praise God for your hunger to know His will. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Don't ever be afraid to go deeper and study and understand the deep things of God. Very well. So far, so good. But we have to listen to the rest of the story. It's not finished yet. Because there were, there were also two other Christian men who went for a walk. One is a seminary professor by the name of Mr. Professor Good for Nothing. He went for a walk with his best friend, Mr. Hot Air Balloon. And these two were knowledge junkies. They loved to stuff their brain with so much biblical truth, but they were big from the outside and empty from the inside, never translated to practical living. And that day, Mr. Professor, good for nothing, as he went for a walk with his best friend, he said to him, guess what? What? Well, I, I just studied the other day the simplicity of God, the immutability, the impossibility of God. Wow, that's great. And then what? And what? Well, I, I had goosebumps all over my body uh, when I went to bed from what I now know. You think about it. Even Hollywood movies can do that to you. And if theology has no more effect in our lives than a Hollywood movie can, I submit to you this theology either was not understood properly or cooked in hell if it has no effect on people. Brothers, this is a disease. It's a common disease that is infecting many Christian academics. I, I call it intellectual constipation. Where good biblical information is absorbed by the brain and it's stuck just above um, neck level and it's never released into the heart. And the symptoms are no burning devotion to Christ. No practical sacrifices made to the saints. A lot of talk, but not much walk. Learning, but not living. This was not Paul's intention when he penned down his prayer. I hope we understand this. I hope we realize that Paul was not praying for the Colossians to only have head knowledge. It's good to have head knowledge. Of course it is. But that was not his intention. If it was so, then how would we be any better than the devil who knows and therefore he believes and trembles? And some say, well, no, no, that's right. This is why Paul adds in all spiritual wisdom. Meaning not only do you need to know, but you need to organize this knowledge. You need to summarize it. 
principalize it. Yes, yes, you need wisdom. You need to add wisdom to this knowledge. Absolutely. That's good, but so did Solomon. He had enough wisdom to write the entire book of Proverbs. Yet look at his ending. Another failure. Let me read to you what Solomon, the wise, said about himself as he attained wisdom. He says in Ecclesiastes 1.16, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were in Jerusalem, over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed the wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And this is his conclusion. I realized that this also is striving after the wind. Vanity of vanity. Well, what do we do? Well, we need to add understanding. Right? In other words, you don't just know, but you understand what you know. You don't just regurgitate doctrine after doctrine, but you meditate. You apply reason and logic add, to add that to your knowledge and to wisdom. Meaning you get it. You actually get it. You understand why you believe what you believe. But to what end? To what end will Paul pray this prayer? Why would he make this request? What is the point of all of this studying and meditating and understanding? Why do we do what we do? And for this, we come to today's message. We're going to see the bottom line of the bottom line, the end of all things. Why we need to fill our entire being with the knowledge of God's will. And so the three points are this. To walk before God. To please God and to grow in God. Take it one at a time. To walk before God. This is why we ought to be filled with the knowledge of His will. To walk before Him. So we read in verse 10. And Paul says, so that to this end, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, we need to understand something in the um, historical uh, Greek culture at that time. They, they divorced the theoretical knowledge from life. That's what they took pride in. In that heresy of Gnosticism, we need to understand again that they taught that the spirit is good and the body is evil. So... In other words, it really doesn't matter what you do with your body so long as you know what you need to know. And Paul wants to break away from this heresy. So he says, not only does it matter what you do, but the very reason why you're called to be filled with the knowledge is to affect what you do. We are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In order to walk. We're not filled with God's will. With the knowledge of God's will. So that we would stand still. And let grass grow between our toes. Not so that we would sit still. And be like a couch potato. Or seat warmers. What fills our minds brothers. Must 
inflame our hearts. And what inflames our heart ought to set us on fire for God. Ought to cause us to get up and walk. Now may I add that this call to walk is repeated so many times in the New Testament. And so, what does it mean to walk? If it's repeated so many times, it's got to be somewhere at the forefront of Paul's mind. What does it mean? Let's continue and read the verse and then later on we'll dissect it. It says, in a manner worthy of the Lord. That word Lord, who does Paul have in mind? Who is this Lord? Well, this word Lord is always, in this epistle, always referred to Jesus Christ. In fact, we read another verse that in Colossians that is almost very similar to that verse. In Colossians 2 verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Well, okay. So in other words, we can replace the word Lord with Jesus Christ and we say, in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Now, we still need to understand what this means. Paul gives us another insight into what he means by that in Ephesians 4 verse 1. Let me read it to you. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to, again, he uses the same phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. So in one verse, he says, the manner of the Lord. Second, he says, in a manner worthy of the calling. To stitch these pieces together, we get, this is what we get. Jesus Christ called us to walk. And just as he called us, so go ahead. Commit yourselves to this path. Dedicate yourselves to this direction. Well, we'll take it one step back. And what we realize so far, that Paul in his mind, he's convinced there is a strong connection between being filled with the knowledge of God's will and how this would lead us to walk this walk. Well, if this is true, then what we have to ask is, what kind of knowledge that would fill our mind, that would lead us to walk. What does that mean? Can you give us an example? Well, as we study the scripture, for example, and we study the, the doctrine of the exclusivity of Christ or the lordship of Christ. We come and we read the verse in Matthew 10, verse 38, where Jesus says, He who does not take his cross and follow after me. That means walk before me is not worthy of me. And as we study this, as we open our hearts and fill our minds and soul with this will of God, in this instance, and we remind ourselves with the vows of our calling for salvation. When He called, when he called us to follow Him as our Lord, what do we discover? We discover that this walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, is not arbitrary, it's not abstract. 
It's very specific. Let's dissect what he means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's try to understand it. What kind of walk is this? First of all, it's a following kind of walk. In this walk, we are to follow the Lord. In other words, our eyes are hooked upon Christ. Our hearts are clinging to Him step by step, stride by stride, always following after Jesus, never leaving His shadow, constantly holding on to Him. It is a following kind of walk. Secondly, it's a walk of complete obedience. Please note, it says, in a manner worthy of whom? The Lord. He uses the title Lord. So who is walking? Slaves are walking. If he is Lord, then we must be his slaves. When he orders, what do we do? We follow his command, no matter the price we pay. He tells us jump, we say how high, Lord. Number three, it's a personal walk. This walk, again, is worthy of the Lord. It is a personal walk. What this means is that if nobody's walking before the Lord, guess what? He is still worthy of our walk, even if this walk alone is alone. Well, in other words, if my family, if my best friends are not going to follow, I will follow Christ. Number four. It is an all-exclusive kind of walk. Again, pay attention to what he says. In a manner worthy of the Lord. Not in a manner worthy of the Lord and the government. Not in a manner worthy of the Lord and my husband or my wife. There is no and. The Lord alone. He alone is worthy. Of my walk, my devotion. And I have resolved in my heart that nobody's going to stop me from walking closely, exclusively behind Jesus. I believe this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I, I pray, as Paul did, that this wonderful knowledge of God's will to fill the entirety of our being. Why? So that we would actually walk this kind of walk. Now, why should we walk this way? He continues on to please Him in all respects. We are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will to walk before the Lord and to please the Lord, to please God. This is the goal of all goals, the bullseye of our existence. This is why we live, to please Him in all respects. What happens? When Christians are not filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What happens? You know what happens? Some make it their life's mission to please themselves. Others live to please their children. Such that if aliens out of space came and examined the relationship of 
between parents and children, and I would conclude that parents are slaves and children are masters, right? Others dedicate their lives to please their wives. And I follow the worldly saying that goes like this, happy wife, happy life, right? I'm here to say to you, happy God, happy life. You please God and you're a blessed man. Well, we, we just pause here and ask before we go any further. Um, is Paul saying here that unbelievers can also please God if they do what he tells them to do? Absolutely not. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. My friend, if you're, if you're an unbeliever, you must first accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior as your perfect substitute. You must, through faith, lay hold on to Christ for your sins to be atoned for. Before you even begin to think about how to please God in your walk. God's wrath against your sin will never be averted by your good works. No matter how righteous they may seem to be. Only the blood of Jesus is the sweet smelling aroma before the nostrils of a holy God. Only Jesus Christ is able to please God. Well, you might say, well, if only Christ is able to please God, then why does the Bible command us to please Him? You see, we are not to please God. To have our sins forgiven and to be accepted by Him. No, we please God precisely because our sins have been forgiven and that we are already accepted in the Beloved before God. He's no longer our judge. Because of Jesus, God is our dear Heavenly Father. We belong to Him now. He adopted us into His family. We're called children of God. And so, our hearts are filled with gratitude. We want to honor Him because now we love Him. And how do children honor their parents? How do children honor their father? By pleasing Him in all respects. And that's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I love this verse. I love it. It's my go-to verse so many times. It says here, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, meaning as our goal in life, what gives us maximum pleasure and satisfaction. Whether at home or absent. In other words, anywhere and everywhere. Anytime and all the time. To do what? To be pleasing to Him. And Paul desires for us to be filled with God's knowledge to this end. To bring pleasure to the heart of God. When we're filled with the Word, we still say, Or we discover 
again that the father is only pleased with his with his son Jesus and Jesus alone well that doesn't help does it yes it does why because now as a christian i can pray and make it my aim to be transformed into the image of god's beautiful son so when god looks upon our lives he no longer sees us but he sees christ manifested his life through us and this brings smile in the face of our heavenly father brothers is there anything in life better than to have the pleasure of god upon us we are acquainted with god's infinite mercy brothers when we are filled with the depth of our father's love and the height of his glory when we are saturated with the knowledge that we are protected by his infinite power we would soon learn that it will be so much better for us to please him even if the whole world is disappointed in us that would be so much better than to have the whole world clapping and yet our heavenly father is frowning upon us to so back to our text to please him and he continues on this is so important and he says in all respects all respects that is to say in every area of our lives again there are some people you know what they're they're content to to please god only in their religious duties when they pray having quiet time read the bible come together okay that's the time to please god and the rest of their time that is about more or less 80% of the time they would say this so long as i obey the 10 commandments i'm set to please myself we are to please god in all what respects again when sometimes when we discuss certain subjects with people and somehow we bring in god and his will is mentioned people would say why are you bringing god and and the subject of god in everything that we say why do you do this right brothers we're we're, we're born again god placed in our hearts this strong desire to live for his will alone we long to please him in every area of our lives how can we not bring god in as many subjects as we can blessed is the man who pleases god in every moment with every person in every situation in his life happy is this man may we grow to become this man now how do we do that how do we ple- how do we please our heavenly father we come to the third point we please him by growing in god now here i say there are two ways two legs 
in our walk that leads us to please Him. Two pillars that are necessary. And these pillars, it's not either or, both and. You want to please God. You've got to follow. You've got to manifest these two pillars in your life. One, bearing fruit in every good work. Second, increasing in the knowledge of God. Wait a second. I thought you just said that to please God, you've got to become like Jesus. Exactly. That's true. But we cannot be any more like Jesus Christ than when our life consists of breathing in the knowledge of God and breathing out fruit bearing in every good work. This is how we get God's face to shine upon us. Let's have a look at them, each one. So the first leg is bearing fruit in every good work. John 15 verse 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this. In other words, my Father is pleased with this. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In verse 2 of the same chapter, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. There's no exception to the rule. No child of God is to be unemployed in the job of advancing God's kingdom. There is no hibernating bears in the forests of God. Brothers, if we want to please our Father, we must be busy working in His field. We must roll up our sleeves, get our hands and feet dirty. We must be plowing, fertilizing, watering, sacrificially serving the brethren, teaching, admonishing, encouraging. Now one might say, well, this is too much. I mean, how much do I have to be busy for God? It's very simple. How much you want to please Him, right? Bearing fruit in every good work. Now, when he says bearing fruit, I would love to know what is in Paul's mind. What fruit is he talking about? I mean, we know in the scripture there is fruit of the Holy Spirit, there is fruit of righteousness, but what's in Paul's mind in this point in time? I believe more specifically the fruit that he's talking about, the fruit he's talking about is in verse 11. And to this, I'm so excited to tell you, we're not going to only cover one verse. There are two verses we'll cover this sermon. I'm really glad about that. All right, in verse 11, we see this. Paul says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of, and here are fruits, all steadfastness and patience joyously. Let's just quickly have a look at what this verse is saying. Now, the word power here is the word dunamis. I think that's how you pronounce it. Dunamis, that's where we get the word dynamite from. And so in other words, in this verse, what it's saying is to the degree that God's might is glorious, to that same degree, we have limitless, dynamite kind of power available to us Christians to bear fruit in all steadfastness, patience, 
joyously. Fruit, bearing fruit, steadfastness. That's the first one. What does it mean, steadfastness? We are to endure when circumstances are harsh. Patience, second one. We are to endure when people are harsh. So, in other words, when we're facing trials and lies, and whether circumstances or individual, individual persons are harsh towards us, we are to respond by endurance. So, in other words, we please God. Not so much only by doing good works, but by how we do these good works. Our mannerism, our attitude matters. In other words, as you're ministering, and you get an unexpected sickness. Is there steadfastness in you? Is there endurance in you? Or do you give up too quick, too soon? Or as you're serving sacrificially and then you get criticized, are you enduring with patience? But we don't stop there. We've got to go a bit deeper than that. Why? Because please note what our attitude ought to be when we're enduring. How are we ought to exercise patience and steadfastness? Joyously. Joyously. Gladness. Delight. So... What does this mean? Let's give us an, an example to understand this. Well, let's say you're, you're serving and then your sister in Christ somehow comes and criticizes you. And here you are, biting your lips and your blood is boiling and your face is turning red tomorrow. And then someone would ask, what's going on? What are you doing? Well, I guess I'm enduring. I have to exercise patience, don't I? I've got to please God. God is teaching me patience. Really? Brothers, even unbelievers can do that. You know, you don't need God's limitless power. For this kind of patience, right? How should we do it? Joyously. So it's not just doing good works. It's being patient. Steadfastness. We've got to endure. We've got to keep on doing good work. But it's not just about endurance, right? How are you responding as you are enduring? Are you joyful? How do we do that? This is why we need the second leg of pleasing God. Second leg. Increasing in the knowledge of God. All right. 
So when I study theology proper, you know, I understand the mercy of God and the eternality of God. And I memorize all of God's attributes, I will grow in my joy. That's again going back to Professor Good for Nothing. Now, don't misunderstand me. May we all grow in the knowledge of God in that sense. In fact, I would, I would say that the main reason many churches are so lukewarm is because they have a low view of God. And the reason why they have low view of God is because they did not study that wonderful wealth of knowing about God. But please note, he's not saying here that you've got to increase your knowledge about God. Of God. Of God. This is intimate knowledge. Let me give you an example. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, when God said to Israel, You only have I known you among all the families of, of the earth. What do you mean by that? He didn't mean that God somehow was ignorant of the entire world's population and he was only aware of the Israelites. Of course not. God is omniscient. What do you mean? God meant that he knew Israel in a very special way, in a very unique and intimate way that he did not know the rest of the world in. There is that sense of fellowship, friendship, relationship between God and Israel. And so Paul says here, increasing in this kind of knowledge of God, Meaning, always increasing in knowing God personally. Personally. Experientially. Intimately. Deep kind of knowledge. In a way that you would find God beautifully attractive. So you know Piper's um, uh, wonderful quote. How does it go? God is glorified in you. Huh? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. Now I can say here, God is most pleased with us when we are most pleased with Him. And you can extract that from that verse. When we're actually experientially identifying ourselves with David when he said in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 43 verse 4, where the psalmist would say, God, my exceeding joy. Psalm 42 verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, O God. What does it mean? He continues on in verse 2 and he says, My soul thirsts for God. 
before the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you have this kind of knowledge of God, brothers and sisters? When he says, my soul thirsts for God, it is not like you wake up in the morning and you feel a little thirsty. And you say, well, let me drink a bit of water. And that's kind of the thirst the psalmist has towards God. No, no, not at all. He explains what he means by another passage, another verse in Psalm 63 verse 1, where he says, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Listen to this. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. It is not about like waking up in the morning and you feel a little thirst and you say, oh, I want to grab a drink. And so you feel thirst towards God in that way. No. Brothers, our knowledge of God ought to lead us to feel like we are in a wilderness. And as far as our eyes could see, there is no water. What happens to you? How do you feel? I'm about to die. I'm about to die unless I drink now. I'm good as dead. And with that sense, we've got to be thirsty to know God. To be hungry for God. If I don't have you, God. If I don't meet you. If I don't have this personal communion with you, God. I feel like I'm going to die. Increasing in the knowledge of God is to increase our love, to deepen our longing for Him, such that He alone would become our all-consuming pleasure. Brothers, that's the only way that would give us endurance joyfully. This is how we get to please God. And so, we connect the dots together from last week to this week. What we find, we find this. That as we begin knowing the will of God, we say very well, we've got to start obeying God, walking in a path of obedience, bearing fruit according to God's will. What do we discover? We discover that God's will is not really for us as though there are a set of rules that must be complied, that must be obeyed. No, it's much deeper than that, much more profound than that. Because what we find is God's ultimate will, brothers and sisters, is for us to know Him. To enjoy being in communion with Him, to boast in Him, to love Him. And in that, God is pleased. And as we come to the end, we ask, well, why does this please God? Why is it when I enjoy God, this intimate knowledge of God, that this pleases God? It's very important to know. Well, in a world that we live in, brothers and sisters, in one hand, what do we have? We have enticements, all kinds of enticements, good, bad, and ugly enticements. 
we have short-lived pleasures, short-term, deceiving kind of pleasures. Whether ethically good or not good. And on the other hand, we have our majestic, awesome, magnificent kind of God that we worship. And when we choose to want to increase in our knowledge of that good God that we have, and we say, no, I will refuse to have any short-lived kind of pleasure to be my source of satisfaction, no matter how ethically good it may be. No, I will not choose best friends to be my kind of pleasure. My wife even to be my inlet, the ruling pleasure of my heart. I will choose God and God alone. As a result of these brothers and sisters, what are we declaring? We are declaring that God in His goodness, in His holiness, is so far infinitely better than anything this world would offer to us. And in so doing, we become anxious free. We become content with even the worst kind of condition in life. And at the same time, God is glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is true. You alone, you alone, God, is a source of our satisfaction and delight. And yes, while we are called to love even our family members, but this love is only born out of your love for us. And so long as we open our heart to you, we will love people Exactly the way you want us to love them. And even if we don't have this reciprocation of affection back to us, we are quite content because you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will constantly be the fountain that pours out and gushes out so much love for us that will fill us to the brim. Would you cause your people to run to you the fountain of living waters, to stop digging for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water, and to have you as the only idol in the temple of their hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.